God. Yes, God. Yes. And yes, God, we pray that you would take us to that place where we really want to be, that place that we desire so deeply, that place of fearlessness, that place where there is no separation, that place where we know and feel and see your presence, that place where we see you looking into us, that place of into me see, into us see, into you see, that place that frees us from every place that confines us, that place that frees us from tombs, that place that frees us from closets, that place that frees us from misperceptions and misconceptions and definitions that define us and bind us and hold us back. Free us, God, to be with you, heart to heart, breath to breath, soul to soul. Take us to that place. Amen seems like every time one of our groups sing, I get a brand new favorite song. (laughs) Oh, our music ministry is so powerful and has so much variety and so much talent. Thank you. Mm. Wow. Wow. I can't stop saying wow around here. There's just so many good things. Maybe you saw the soft drink commercial. It was a couple that had gone on a date. They were coming out of the movie theater. It was their first date. And of course, they come to that awkward moment where they are both fearing mutual rejection. And they're not quite sure what's going to happen. And so they just kind of awkwardly say goodnight. And one goes to the taxi. But the other picks up the soft drink and takes a sip. And then suddenly runs back to the other one, pulls them away from the cab, and they go into this extended kiss. The message, drink this soft drink, and you'll overcome your fears of rejection. (laughs) Drink this soft drink, and you will have instant intimacy. The, The people behind that ad know that we have this desire to connect. They know that we have this fear of rejection, that we want to be connected. We we want to be intimate with those around us. We want to be close, and yet we're afraid of it. If you ever watch a music video, notice how the producers put that together. You'll see these clips throughout the video, and sometimes they happen very quickly, where they bring you right up to the lips of the person, or you see their teeth or their eyebrows. It's this eye-to-eye contact. It's like they know that we all want to be that close. And yet, we're afraid to be that close. We're afraid of intimacy with ourselves, with, with God and each other. If you want to validate this in your own life, get on an elevator, preferably a crowded elevator. And as the door closes and as the elevator starts to move... Uh, just attempt to make eye contact with a few of the folks on the elevator and then just kind of say, how's everybody doing today? (laughs) And just see what happens. As soon as the elevator doors open, you know everybody's going to be racing to get away from you. We want to be close, but we're afraid of it. One of the places that really has that kind of forced intimacy is an airplane. I mean, you get on an airplane and you have 350 people elbow to elbow, knee to knee, and yet everyone's trying to avoid each other. 
all these people crammed into this space and yet no one knows the name of the person sitting next to them, where they've come from or where they're going. We want to be close, but we're afraid of it. Come here, go away. Come here, go away. How many of you had a date like that? (laughs) We want to be close, but we have this fear. Eric Law has written this wonderful book called Finding Intimacy in a World of Fear. It's only 100 pages. You can read it about the time it takes to go to a movie, but it's incredibly powerful. And one of the stories he tells is about being on a plane where there was 350 people crammed in, and it was unusually silent. There was this unusual sense of just discomfort. They all had to be there, but nobody wanted to be there. <laughs> and it was unusually quiet. And just as the plane was taking off and had gotten into the air, and it was eerily quiet, not even the usual chatter among business partners, a little girl cried out, Mom, I'm afraid of the plane! And the awkward silence just became more awkward. And the mother said, Shh! And the little girl said, But Mom, I'm afraid of the plane! And the mother said, you know, right now, I'm going to punch you in the face. And everyone felt that moment where they knew that that little girl had named what they were all feeling. It's not about the plane, about something else in their life. And yet she's the one that had the courage to actually name it. Mom, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the plane. I'm afraid of life. Who's going to protect me? Who's going to love me? Mom! It's like... When we name our fear, someone else tries to beat it down. Fear's there, but we're afraid to really break through to that place that's going to give us that ultimate, ultimate courage and, and power. Eric Law talks about how there was a, something inside of him that made him want to stand up and say something, to, to intervene in that situation, to say, you know, I'm afraid too. What if even one adult on that plane had also named that fear? What kind of breakthrough would that plane have had as a community? Intimacy. Into me see. Into God see. Into we see. How do we get there? How do we discover that place of presence that was described by the Gospel Ensemble today? Well, our psalm today is a beautiful psalm that talks about how it is possible to break through to this place. That's my text for the day. It's Psalm 86 on page 2. And what's powerful in this is that the psalmist actually takes the steps to break through to intimacy. In a sense, you could say this is like a prayer journal for the psalmist. The psalmist begins with these words, Incline your ear, O God. Oh God, come close. I'm not afraid of you anymore. Oh God, come and answer me. And I will tell you exactly who I am. I'm tired of pretending, so God, I confess to you that I am poor and needy and I need you. Bring me out of that place where I've hid all my life. That place where I've pretended to be stronger than I am. God, I am poor and needy, so come. Oh, God, preserve my life. You don't know how threatened I feel most of the time. I feel like I'm going down. But God, I am devoted to you. 
I am your servant who trusts in you. Oh God, I trust. Help thou my lack of trust. You are my God. Be gracious to me. Show me your true self. Oh God, for to you do I cry all day long. I don't hold my tears back. I don't care what they think when I show you my true self. That part of me that I can't put into words. That part of me that comes out in tears. God, I cry to you. So gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I just offer it to you. I release it to you. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Abounding in steadfast love. Your love doesn't waver. Your love doesn't say, come here, go away, come here, go away. Your love holds true. It's steady. It's real. It enfolds me. It keeps me. So God, I am crying out to you. For you are a good and gracious God. Give ear, O God. You're so close. Come even closer. And closer. And closer. No separation. I call on you because I know, O God, you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods. All those false gods. All those little gods. Superficial gods. Addiction gods. Nor are there any works like yours. The work you do, O God, is eternal. It's lasting. So all the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you. All people coming together without division. All people coming as one heart. And you, O God, the people shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wonderful things. For you alone are God. Well, what's powerful in this is that the psalmist is no longer afraid. In this prayer journal, the psalmist just lays it all out. All pretension is gone. And it's pure vulnerability and openness. And God can work with that. What I love about this psalm is it gives us a true picture of the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. One of the greatest abominations in the interpretation of Scripture is this idea that the God of the Hebrew Scriptures is a God of wrath and judgment. A God of fear. And that somehow God remained a God of wrath and judgment until the New Testament when Jesus comes. So you have this wrathful God in one set of scriptures and then the loving and meek and gentle Jesus in the other. Well, the God of the Hebrew scriptures is the God who sent Jesus. That's not a wrathful God. That's a God who says, I want to be close to you and now I want to get even closer to you and I will do that by becoming one of you. So the God who's close becomes even closer and more intimate. A God of amazing love. If you notice sometimes the progression that we have in our faith journey, to our youngest children in the nursery, we talk about how God is love, and that becomes the primary image. And then kids get a little bit older, and we start talking about the God of judgment, and the God who only accepts certain people. It's like this God of love becomes this God who, if we don't do everything just perfectly, will send us to hell. And so somehow, 
it shifts from this wonderful God of unconditional love to a God we better fear. And faith no longer becomes about love, it becomes about fire insurance, trying to stay out of hell. That is an abomination of interpretation, and I love how Flora Slauson Lillard describes this God who is close to us and gets even closer and even closer through Jesus, sharing the fullness and the vulnerability of our life. You're going to love this. I hope we are emerging from the barbaric theology that would represent God as wrath and Jesus as love, thus separating their nature and slandering the true heart of God. This interpretation was never the teaching of the Gospels. The New Testament makes it very clear that the wounds of Jesus were also the wounds of God, that the love of Jesus was identical with the love of God. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus, quote, is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, end quote. So we see God through Jesus sharing the heart of the human condition. Jesus was both poor and homeless. Jesus lived in a country occupied by a foreign power. Jesus knew misunderstanding and rejection by family and friends. Jesus wept when his friend died. Jesus experienced slander, persecution, and the power of political and ecclesiastical injustice. Jesus knew hunger, fatigue, and endless demands and expectations. As the imprint of God's very being, Jesus makes clear to us that God fully enters into and experiences all life has to offer. We are shown that God passionately cares. God longs for our healing. Jesus proclaimed the mission of God's Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Mm. And when Jesus quotes that scripture from the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus is inviting all of us to this place of true freedom and true life. Jesus wants to free us from every closet, every definition, every tomb. Jesus wants to release us to this vulnerability, this intimacy, this closeness, this life, this abundance that comes in relationship. And yet the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't try to force us out. Instead, Jesus meets us there right where we are and then invites us to join hands with him and then follow where he leads. There's no forcing in this love. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. It's a way of life. I love the line that you just heard that talks about how God wants our healing as much as we do. God wants us to come to this place of connection and life and community and relationship. So how do we get there? Again, the model that we see in the psalmist. Being real showing our tears, showing our heart, and knowing that if we open ourselves, the natural response to those around us is to open themselves as well. It's not so much about conquering our fear. That's what the mother tried to do when her daughter admitted to being afraid on the plane. She tried to conquer that fear by threatening to punch her in the face, to shove the fear down. 
The invitation is to meet our fear and then see where it takes us. It's giving ourselves away. That's intimacy. It's going to where our fear might lead us. And here's some specific ways that we can address some of the specific fears. Intimate living is not the same thing as living without fear. It's about living fully with fear. Intimacy is what we find when we act with our fear for the sake of life. Mindful fear moves us to act with courage and loving kindness in the service of ourselves and others. And these acts of compassion and service are the quickest route to dispelling fear. If you're afraid of illness, serve someone who's ill. If you're afraid of disability, serve someone who's disabled. If you're afraid of not having enough money, work with the poor. If you're afraid of death, volunteer at a hospice. If you're afraid of loneliness, work with the elderly shut-ins in nursing homes. Hmm. Give yourself away. You want to get close? Open. Become vulnerable. Take the risk. See what happens. You can't beat fear down, but you can move it and move beyond it and meet it. Another story that Eric Law tells in this book is about right after 9-11, he was on a flight to New York. and It was a flight that was full, again, 350 people. And because the towers had just fallen and there was so much fear, you could actually feel the fear on the plane. And everyone felt it. They felt that tension. But when it came came time for the plane to take off, the pilot came on and did not give the typical announcement. Instead, the pilot named the fears and simply said, I know that many of you today are afraid to be on this plane. I'd invite you now to introduce yourself to the persons around you. Eric Law talked about how at that moment people began to connect. They began to share their stories of who was going where. And he said it was the most amazing flight that for the entire flight. People shared their stories and became real to each other. The person sitting next to somebody was no longer a suspected terrorist, but rather someone else on a journey. How do we break through to intimacy? Sometimes it means to really take a risk. And I felt like I couldn't talk about doing that unless I tried it myself. And so I want to tell you, there's a a friend of mine who I have felt a lot of connection with, but it was really kind of superficial. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I can break through to intimacy with this person who I've been having lunch with for about a year and a half, at least once a month. We'd go to lunch. And we'd talk about the latest news in the community. We'd talk about politics. We'd talk about sports. And we'd leave lunch and say, well, that was kind of nice. But we never really broke through to each other. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to preach about this, I need to see what would happen if I took a risk. So we went to lunch and did all the superficial stuff and talked about all that was going on in the community. And then I just said, "Um, you know something? Um, I'm having a hard time getting over the relationship that ended about a year and a half ago. I don't know why I'm still struggling with this. It doesn't make sense. I know he wasn't really right for me, but I'm still holding on to that. And this person is someone who was actually a mutual friend of ours, and I met the person I was having lunch with through him. 
And when I shared that piece of myself with him and took that risk, I saw that something shifted on his face. I, I no longer was just that person who went to lunch with him every once in a while. I became someone who had a heart very much like his own heart. And then he said, well, you know something, Dwayne? Uh, there's something going on with me too. Uh, my mother um, has Alzheimer's, and every time I go to visit her, a little bit more of her is gone. Usually we'd have lunch for maybe 45 minutes. Two hours later, we were sharing heart to heart. Something happened. We saw God in each other. We had intimacy. In to me see. And I was no longer as afraid of moving on in my social life. And he was no longer as afraid of going home to his mother. We found strength in each other. That's what intimacy is. It's finding that strength of community, that wholeness, God in our presence. Yesterday is a day that I was as proud of resurrection as I've ever been because we brought people together to share stories. In the gathering place over here, we filled that place with circles. It was a center circle surrounded by another circle, surrounded by another circle. And those from the transgender community began to talk about what it meant to, to go through their experience and where they found God in that and where they found community in that. And they named their fears. And as we shared together, we were able to share our fears with each other. And we talked about how intimacy is giving away, opening and releasing. At the end of the day, after about four hours of incredible communication, everyone was invited to write something that they wanted to give away from this experience, something they wanted to release. And it was all on cards. And last night, before I turned the lights out, I went through and I read every card because I wanted that whole experience to be with me as I slept through the night, to hear those voices again. And I wanted you to hear just a little bit of um, what happened yesterday. I would like to give away a more open mind. I would also like to give away much thanksgiving to everyone for sharing themselves with me. I would like to give away appreciation and respect to those individuals who have shared their journeys. I am in awe of them and they have inspired me. I give away my preconceived ideas about what is feminine and what is masculine. I am going to give away my intolerance of what I don't understand. I would like to give away my silence when someone reacts negatively to someone or something different. I would like to give away my courage to stand up for what I believe to be true. I would like to give away standing up and openly supporting and articulating the truth of equality for all people, including transgender people and all people. Mm. Intimacy is surrender, release, a giving away. Amen and amen.